You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut through the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. Hi, it's Katie Harris, and this is an episode of the Nursepreneur Podcast. Today we have Julie McGowan. Boyt on from us, who is a nurse practitioner who runs, uh, who works with a, a nonprofit hospice in Kenya, and is also the author of From Beyond the Skies. Julie, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we got a lot to talk about here, a lot to unpack, because uh, yeah, this is really, really interesting. So why don't you start off first by giving us a little background about you as a nurse, how you got started, and then how in the world did you end up in Kenya? Yeah, so I um, did my bachelor's and worked um, in Los Angeles in HIV care for a few years, became a nurse practitioner. And then I was really moved by all that was going on with HIV and AIDS in Africa and had an opportunity to come on a short term trip to Kenya and the community I came to work with for the short period I just really connected with the leadership and their compassion for the people but also the suffering that was happening here. And so after I finished my nurse practitioner I moved to Kenya for for what I thought would be a year long stint but that was 2004 and I'm still here. Um, in 2009, uh, after doing five years of community-based HIV care, I was really moved by the number of people who were needing hospice and palliative care services. And so with a team of Kenyans, we started an inpatient hospice that is a 24-bed facility. And now we have a second one um, that's also running. And so it's been quite a journey, one that I didn't imagine would be my life, but I'm really grateful for the privilege to live in this community and to see the ways that nursing has been able to serve so many people of this area. Okay, so first, how, how do you just move to Kenya? <laughs> how does that work? Well, so I had come on several short-term trips and there was a non, there was a small community-based organization nonprofit that was working here. And so I, I talked to the leadership to see if it would be possible for me to come for a year um, as a nurse practitioner and to serve within the community and to help where needed because at that time there still wasn't access to HIV testing or treatment within the community and so to try to um, you know build a program and strengthen the services that could be available and so that's what happened um, and then after I lived in the community um, after a year, I knew that my time was just really beginning. There was still so much that I dreamt that could be possible and available for the people of this area. So. Right, but were you like self-financed or did you actually, did the nonprofit actually pay you a stipend of some sort? So uh, I did f fundraising to be able to be here. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, sharing with friends and family and people that there was this need and this opportunity. And so um, could, if people could donate towards my coming to, to be here. Yeah. And even, even for the work now, I mean, there's aspects where there's still fundraising, there's grant writing, there's um, income generating businesses that we've created to help sustain the programs that we're running. Yeah, that's a lot of work. Um, so were you able to work as a nurse practitioner? 
And what is the, the kind of state of nurse practitioners in Kenya? So uh, they they don't recognize nurse practitioners, but I'm a regist I'm registered as a nurse both in California and in Kenya. So I went through the process of registering here. Was that difficult? Um, it wasn't, but it, I know it can be. Um, I I think I had somehow had favor with the nursing council of Kenya and was able to get registration. <laughs> That's and, always nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I think I think they were also moved by the work we were doing within the community and the needs that existed, and so, um, and, and I work with, I mean, I work with over a hundred Kenyans, um, so it's it's really a Kenyan-led um, project, and I just I'm really honored to be a part of it. Did you have that when you went over, or was it something that you had to apply for and and you had to wait until you got that status? Yeah, so I, I arrived here first and then um, applied for it. So it wasn't an automatic thing. Okay, and then you went out into the community and I'm sorry, which part of Kenya were you in? So I'm in Western Kenya. It's up towards the city of Eldred in a village about an hour away from there. Okay, and how did you choose that? Just because the, the nonprofit was there? Yeah, it's because when I first came, um, that's where the team that I was a part of, we went to, and then um, when I was coming back, I wanted to come back to the same uh, community and the same people that I had already met. Okay, and so uh, you opened inpatient hospice. Like, how did you, how, how did that process start and how did you get the funds to do all that? Um, so it started small. It started actually with a couple of beds and it was it was not a very expensive process but it's grown and so again it's I mean it's been fundraising and grant writing and sharing the story and um and people believing in the work and the importance of it and and then also like I mentioned having the vision that we wanted it to be as sustainable as possible and so opening up other businesses here to go alongside of it to help fund the portions of it, other portions of it. And what kind of businesses did you guys start up? So we have a funeral home that uh, it uh, it's open to the larger community and region. And since it was a huge need of the area, um, it's done really actually very well. And we average over a hundred bodies a month that come through there and it's, for our uh, 24 bed hospice, it's helped with about 20% of the operations to, with the profits from there. Oh, wow. Um, okay, so, wow, that's fascinating. So since 2009, uh, you've been doing the, the inpatient hospice and how's it grown? Oh, it's, it's grown immensely. Um, we do both community-based services around it as well as inpatient services for adults and children and patients from all over the country come. Um, and because we often serve low income um, patients, uh, we offer free services, but also for those who are able to pay, and we have other services that are available um, for that also. It's, it's full and we have waiting lists for, for the hospice. Oh, that's difficult too, isn't it? <laughs> when you're, if you're on hospice and you're on a waiting list. Um, Okay, and is there like home hospice there as well? Is that something that's? Um, so we do we do some community-based hospice and home care. It's challenging um, 
challenging because I feel like in the U.S. often it's dependent on nurses having vehicles and being able to drive to locations and here the infrastructure is trickier to get from house to house and then to be able to get the care that's needed within the community it's challenging although we do it and often the patients that come to the inpatient if we can get their symptoms controlled um, then we would aim to get them back to the community especially if they have the family support to be able to do that okay and then so then you wrote this book uh, from beyond the skies like when did you start writing that when when did you get inspired to write about it and then we can talk about what it what it's about so i started writing um from beyond the skies in 2018 um and do you want me to talk about how what it's yeah, yeah, yeah. not yet yeah, okay. absolutely. so it in 2016 uh premature baby uh who was three pounds was brought to the hospice his mother had died in childbirth and um, his father had died in a roadside accident and he really just didn't have um he couldn't stay within the community they didn't have formula and so he was brought to the hospice and um, my husband who's kenyan um, we decided to bring him to our home at least for a period of time to try to help him survive initially um, and then um, really met with the family he was the youngest of eight siblings uh, to try to figure out how to best care for those kids who were now you know orphans and um, so over time my husband and I we decided to continue to take care of Ryan and um, at six months old he was diagnosed with sickle cell disease and then we got the diagnosis of two of his other siblings um, because of his and you know I remember as a young nurse in Los Angeles taking care of sickle cell patients but it was a whole new thing to have it within our house and to have three kids with sickle cell and um to begin to read all that was going on with sickle cell throughout uh, Kenya and Sub-Saharan Africa and that uh, even though there's limited research numbers suggest that 90% of kids die by the age of five um, who have sickle cell in this region and so I began to just you know wonder what that meant for our kids and also think about the larger population that was around us and um and so it's I mean it's a long story but uh I have multiple colleagues um in the U.S. who reached out to me after we got the diagnosis and one was a transplant doctor and she said that the latest um treatments in the U.S. were standard of care for kids who had a matched sibling donor um was bone marrow transplant and so she suggested that we at least try to get the testing done for the kids, even though there's no, there's no um, transplants done in East Africa. And so we were able to get, get the testing done. And since the results, um, we got them back from New York and our boys, Ryan and Joffrey had a match within their sister. And so we were able to come to Los Angeles and do bone marrow transplants for the boys that now they're cured of their sickle cell disease. But the book is the story of originally me come to, coming to Kenya and getting married here and, and meeting this baby and then the siblings and the whole journey of working towards finding a cure for them. Um, 
and how hard it really was, but how important community was to make it possible. And then eventually we were able to come back after uh, 480 days um, in Los Angeles. And, you know, we're back here now, but still have one child who did not have a sibling match who still is fighting um, with the, struggling with the disease and the challenges that exist for her. Um, so that's, that's what the book is about. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> so in 2016, um, you took on a, a premature baby um, who ended up having sickle cell disease and then eight of his brothers and sisters. So you, you took on yeah. eight kids. So um, we have four of the siblings living with us and then um, two are like 19, 20 years old, they're in the community and then there's two that are in high school. Okay, well, that's a huge transition right there, like taking on one kid, um, but then you took on four kids. Okay, and then- And then three of them have sickle cell disease. And three of them have sickle cell. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So it so the book is really about like this invitation that was before us, even though we didn't know what we were saying yes to, and stepping one step at a time through this journey that has been incredible and challenging, and um, and the community that stood with us to make so much of it possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, because you you'd have to have community. <laughs> behind you for something like this. That's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, and it's amazing too. I didn't realize there were cures for sickle cell. So it's only if the, there's a matched donor that they can find. Yeah. So, um, siblings have a 25% chance of being a 10 out of 10 match. And so since we had so many siblings, <laughs> you know, we were hoping that there would be matches and you know, in all of the steps of trying to get it all to fit together to be able to go for treatment and, and that happened. Um, but then, you know, we come back and continue to do our work, but are so transformed by the journey. And there's the piece of me that I think because of how long I've been doing community work and hospice work that like, just because it happened within our family and these kids, like, I can't stop thinking about all of these other families who didn't have access to this kind of treatment. And so there's the piece of, of at this point of what can be next steps to reduce the suffering, to improve the outcomes, the quality of life for these kids and families. Right. Do you have the answer yet? <laughs> uh, I don't have it completely, but one of the things that we're working on is you know, we were really, really um, blessed when we were in Los Angeles to have a place to stay and to have, um, you know, like when you've traveled so far and you need, you need a safe place because the treatment itself was so challenging. And so we're working to build um, a center, a guest house for families that are traveling far distances for treatment to Eldorette. And so that's one of the things we're working on. And then the second thing that it's still um, being developed, but there's not far from where we live. There's a, a hospital that has 250 kids um, with sickle cell disease that, that they see regularly, but they only see them when they're small. And by the time, you know, 
five, six years old, they're, they're no longer there. And so we're working to see if we could create a community program to try to get better outcomes and to really see what, what are the biggest challenges and what are the things that are causing the, the suffering, the ultimately the deaths of these kids. And, and um, hopefully this is not an ignorant question about sickle cell, but sickle cell is caused um, in large part by malaria over there. Is that right? So it's a genetic mutation. So both parents would most likely have the, so both parents would have the traits typically unless one of the parents has the disease. And then, so if both parents have the trait, then one in four of their kids, one out of four, there's a chance of having um, disease. There's uh, then the chance of having trait. Um, so it's, it's genetic. Um, it is because, I mean, it's thought that over years of trying to not get malaria is how the genetic mutation originally occurred. But okay. um, there's there's certain um, communities and certain tribes and areas where it's more prevalent, um, even within Kenya. Okay. Um, all right. And so, when you were writing this book, um, I mean, how did you start? Like, do you start with the end or like with the message? Um, and and how did you kind of build out what you were gonna put in this book? So I started writing it while we were still in Los Angeles before we returned home, while we were still like trying to heal from bone marrow transplants. And I felt like I needed to write it for my kids who, you know, they were little. So Ryan was 19 months when he has transplant. Joffrey was three or four. We don't know his exact birth date, but so we didn't, I, I, I wanted them who aren't gonna remember um, just to know about the journey and to know how much they're loved. But then the other piece of it was, um, so Ryan, when he had his transplant, ended up having terrible complications and when he was in the ICU. And I remember when he was coming out of the ICU, I asked uh, a friend, you know, what do you do to say thank you to the nurses, the doctors who helped to save your child's life? And they said, well, you write, you write a letter and you say thank you. You're like you can never repay them, but you you write a letter. And so as I was writing the book, I felt like it was my complete letter, the letter that I couldn't write fully at that time. But because it's like it's a complex story, there's so many pieces of how we ended up there, and and you know, and eventually coming home. But um, so I, that's how I think of it: is my long letter to say thank you to all who walked alongside of us. Um, and, and you were in LA for over a year. Is that what you said? Yeah. So we, we actually lived with a family in Los Angeles for 477 days. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was crazy. <laughs> their, <laughs> their hospitality was incredible because there were seven of us. Um, so oh, you brought the whole, I, I guess you'd have to bring the whole family. Wow. Okay. Um, and then in terms of like, so this being, a, you know, basically a, a, a long letter back to the nurses and the doctors that, that were helping you. Um, I mean, how is the book structured or how, how does it kind of flow? And, and, you know, did you have help writing this book or is this something that you did uh, completely like on your own? I, I did it. I wrote it. Um, it's, it's structured by beginning um, of me going to Kenya and 
and the process of meeting my husband and becoming a mom and then the journey of meeting Ryan and these kids and coming, uh, eventually doing adoption and getting the diagnosis coming to Los Angeles. So it, it's, I mean, it's, um, it's structured, you know, as a narrative of the whole story of how it happened. And then okay. it, it really details the time in the hospital and the healing process. And I, I felt like I really wanted to give as honest of a, you know, a, tell it as honestly as I could. So did you get a publisher for this book or is it self-published? So it's published by um, Morgan James Publishing. It's, it's not, it's not a traditional publisher, but it's also not self-published. So it's a little bit of, a, I would say a mixture of, of both, but um, yeah, Morgan James Publishing's. And is this book out and available? So it's available right now um, on, on ebook. Audible should be coming out in the next couple of weeks and then print will be September 28th. Okay. Um, did you do the audio? I did. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and what is kind of like the overall message of the book? Like, what do you want people to walk away from? Um, so I feel like it's about the wonder of love and I feel like much of my work and this journey with our family has been about asking the question of what does it look like to love in this situation, the one that's right in front of us, and then asking it over and over and over again. And so, um, I mean, I feel like that's the message of just how powerful it can be and how transforming it can be. And um, yeah. It's it's really beautiful. It sounds very wonderful. I'm actually going to wait for the print version to come out because I can't read ebooks. But um, you know, I, I definitely want to get this. And it's coming out. I, it's coming out September 28th. But I I'd, I'd love to send you a copy if you, when we finish. If you send me your address, I could get that to you. Um, so Julie, do you at this point um, do you take volunteers in your inpatient hospice in Kenya? Like, if nurses were interested, they hear this and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I'd love to do something like that." We do because of COVID right now, we're not as much. Um, but I think by 2022, if we can get people vaccinated and um, then yes, we will have volunteers again. Um, we I feel like it's a really good opportunity for people to come in and experience this place and learn from our team as well as, you know, teach and be a part of it. So we feel like um, it's really a beautiful thing to watch just the strength of community and um, our Kenyan team do incredible care, but we, yes, we do welcome others to come and come and visit and be a part of it. All right. So then do you want to tell people, one, how they can get your book, and two, how they can get in contact with you uh, if they're interested? Sure. So um, the book is available. If you go to frombeyondtheskies.com, it has all the information about where you can buy the book and details about it. And then I'm available um, at on Instagram at Julie McGowan Voigt. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Thank you.